Extraordinary Moms podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every week I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons that they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two moms parent in the same way, and we should celebrate that and learn from one another. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and if you like what you hear, please share the show with a friend. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 41 of the podcast. So glad you are here. I think I may start renumbering in January and do like a grand total of all the number of episodes because when I say 41, it seems like I'm a newbie around here and really it's more like 350 episodes is basically where we're at. So I may start renumbering. So if you see that, that would be why. But I am so excited for Jen's episode today. Jen Stagg is my guest. You might know her as a former journalist. And I mean, quite frankly, do you ever stop being a journalist? She continues to tell stories now through design and through her work at founding Stag Design. She is so, so incredible. She has an incredible podcast called Heart of the Home, and we're gonna talk not only about those things, but also her motherhood journey. She has faced a lot of challenges, both during pregnancies and post-pregnancies that we're gonna talk about today. And she just has so much food for thought in her life story, and I'm so excited to share that with you today. So, welcome to the show, Jen Stag. All right, I feel so honored to be talking with a fellow podcasting mama. Jen Stagg is here. Hi, Jen. Hello. Thank you so much for having me, Jessica. It's my pleasure. There's so much that we could talk about. And so I had the hardest part of this whole thing is coming up with how do we want to spend our time this morning? Because you do so many things and you have so many interesting things. But first, can we just talk about the cold podcast really, really fast? Oh my gosh, the cold podcast. Susan Powell is like something that I cannot escape. Okay, so <laughs> I can't get away from it. Yes, you were a major journalist during that time of the Susan Powell case. If people aren't familiar with the cold podcast, it documents and has revisited that that case that was just so tragic in Utah. And um, does that seem like a whole different? life like you were so brave from what I have heard of you trying to go up to Josh Powell and get the scoop and everything like is that just who you are where does where does that nerve come from (laughs) um yeah I mean I think I've always been kind of gutsy I think you have to be to be a good reporter and anchor and so yeah that does kind of feel like a lifetime ago I remember that story really well obviously it was a huge part of my life for Oh, like four and a half years I covered that story. It was a really long time. And I was the very first reporter to cover that story. You know, people go missing all the time. Mm -hmm. And usually it's like a runaway or somebody who's mentally ill or um, sometimes it's a person who doesn't want to be found. And that doesn't deserve necessarily police and national media attention. But so this, this originally came through as like a missing persons case, right? Like this family went camping, they hadn't returned home yet. And so I remember my boss saying, do you think this is a story? And I was like, you know what, I'll go just go check it out. So I went out to the neighborhood. It was the morning that they hadn't come home and knocked on their door and snow, you know, it just had snowed. There was snow everywhere. And I'm traipsing around this neighborhood, knocking on doors. And I remember I, I knocked on a neighbor's door. And this teenage girl answered the door and I, I said, Hey, we're looking for this family. You know, they live just kitty corner of you. Have you, 
have you seen anything weird or anything strange that's happened? And she was like, yeah, I did. I snuck out with my boyfriend last night. And when I was coming home, the van was just leaving and I could hear arguing. And I was like, okay, this is a story because it didn't quite match up with what we were originally told. Mm -hmm. And so I remember telling my boss, nope, this is a story. And I went live in the noon newscast and that triggered this huge media attention. And it just, I mean, it's just the craziest story. Like a story like this will never probably ever happen again. It's so unique. There's so many different characters. It's so well documented. Everybody was an avid journal journal writer. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's just so bizarre, right? Well, it's and really, even really a weird story. The audio clips that they have <laughs> of these people that are just insane and it's just so incriminating. And even if if it wasn't related to a crime necessarily, his dad. Oh, 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 I know. And the songs, right? The like, you song. can't unhear that. You can't unhear it. Jen. And at the time, what's so interesting for me about Cold, when I first heard that KSL was, was putting this podcast together, I didn't know that Dave Colley, one of my old colleagues, was behind it. I just knew that KSL was doing something about uh, Susan Powell. And at first, I kind of had this reaction like, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in I already know too much about that story. It was so haunting. It was so I was so personally invested in it. I I said I'm not I don't I don't want to hear about it. I'm not interested. It felt sort of um tabloidy that that KSL was doing something else with it again and I sort of felt like what was the point? Yeah. Now that was before I knew that there were all of these records and recordings and videos and audio tapes that I didn't have access to at the time. I didn't have any idea that any of that even existed. So it's been interesting for me to talk with Dave Colley now, all these years later, when he's revisiting, and he has done a phenomenal job with Gold. It's gone worldwide viral. I mean, it's really, really exceptional journalism. But it's been interesting for the two of us to sort of sit down together and and talk about, like, at the time I was covering it in real time, and now he's been covering it after the fact, and just sort of comparing notes and putting things in full perspective. It's so weird. (laughs) It's really, really weird. Right. Absolutely. Because there's the facts that you were previously reporting on, and it was all just based on what you knew, when you knew it. And then now there's additional facts and information in addition, there's also an editorial sense on this whole thing. Now that we know more, I mean, it's just insane. It really is. So it's such a weird case, and mm-hmm. I'll forever be the reporter that was yep. traipsing yeah. through the snow <laughs> in heels, chasing after Josh Powell. It, it was like a slow motion chase, sure. like like a white bronco. Yes, instead of like me following him around this park, going. Josh, people really just want to know what what you know. I mean, it's like the weirdest thing. So yeah, I get asked about it still probably at least once or twice a week. I bet. Somebody will stop me in a grocery store. I bet. And I bet it gets a little annoying too. So thanks for indulging me and wanting to chat real quick about it. Because, I mean, it is something that is a huge part of your career and what you were known for and what you did such a fantastic job at. And so as much as sometimes... We're like, okay, I'm an, I'm done kind of being identified just by that story or as a mom or whatever that hat is that people kind of label us by. They know us as so-and-so's mom or whatever it is, you know. It's like 
it's a part of our story and it's definitely been a stepping stone for you to get to where you are. And had you not had those experiences and that case and things like that, like nobody would be who they are without that past, right? Absolutely. I mean, journalism is a huge part of who I am. Yeah. I think I've always been a storyteller, as, as sort of trite as that sounds. I've always been a storyteller at heart. I was always the kid you know, writing stories. I was an avid reader as a child. I've always just had a love of people. I really love getting to know people. Uh, I'm uh, that person that's like sitting next to somebody on an airplane, getting to know their life story (laughs) or, you know, I just really love sharing people's stories. And now my medium has changed a little bit. I'm doing it through design, but it's the same. It's sort of the same things that I loved about journalism are the same things I love about design. Mm, that's so interesting because you wouldn't think there would be that tie. But yeah, whether it's expressing your story through words or expressing through style personally or through your home, whatever it is, there's so much that we communicate in the environment that we live in. And I think that's a really interesting path that you've taken. But I do see that thread. That's really interesting. Yeah, a lot of people don't think of it that way. They think, oh, that's a really, you know, that's a, you quit took quite a fork in the road, you know, Mm. things are really different now. And, and I'm like, you know what, it's really not that different. I spend a lot of time getting to know my clients and getting to know all of those interesting little quirks and their story and their history and, and sort of where their family's going. And it's the same in journalism. I would spend, you know, so much time intimately getting to know people. And I felt very personally invested in their stories. I, I think I was probably, a little bit unique in that way as, as far as journalism goes. Like I felt like these people were members of my family. I felt very personally invested in how their story was told. And, and, um, you know, I, I would sort of always have this prayer. It didn't matter how, you know, mundane the story seemed. I would always sort of say this prayer before I started writing, like, please just let me do the story justice. Please just let me you know, when these people watch these, this story on the news, let it be a good reflection of, of the situation that they're in. And sometimes that wasn't always a positive story, right? Like Mm -hmm. I had to do a lot of negative stories or sometimes it would be, um, an undercover investigation or, or sometimes it would be something really tragic that had happened in somebody's life. But I knew that if I always carried that feeling in my heart of like, I am look, God, I just want to do the very best job I can do. I don't Mm want to say something I'm not supposed to say or paint somebody in a light that I'm not supposed to paint them or, or, you know, not share all the wonderful things about about this person. So please just guide the way that I'm writing the story and putting the story together. And I have those same feelings now when I'm putting someone's home together, you know, I believe that someone's home is the most important place on the planet to them. And if their home is a true reflection of who they are, then I know that I've nailed it. Mm -hmm. So I, I sort of always try and keep that as my guiding force. Like, I just want to be, I just want to do whatever God wants me to do. Doesn't Mm. everybody feel that way? Like, I just want to be the best tool that I can be in whatever sort of medium I'm working in. Yeah, I could not agree more. And yet, I think a lot of us get stuck doing or being a certain type of person or doing a certain type of job because that's where we're comfortable and that's what maybe we were once called to and we have a tr- and then we have trouble transitioning out of that mode into a new calling. So how did you know it was time to transition out of journalism and into stag design and into this new chapter? 
Yeah, I got, I, I mean, it was painful. It was mm. really, really a hard transition. And, but it wasn't the first time I had done it before. Um, I danced professionally when I was younger and I sort of hit a point in my life in dance where it was painful again. Like I loved it so much and I had invested so much time and energy and hard work into it, but I knew that it had served its purpose. And that's sort of how I felt with journalism. Um, you know, people, not just we put ourselves in boxes, but people will try and put us in these boxes. You know, I kept trying to, to break out into other things and, and really flex my creative muscles and use all of my talents. And I, I kept having bosses and managers say, Oh, but you're so good at this one thing. I really just want you to focus on this one thing. And it became very difficult and, and sort of, I was internally conflicted a lot as soon as I had a child and became a mother. And I would look at my little girl and she was a newborn. This is when I had my first daughter, Ruby, and my schedule was really awful. And it sort of felt like, well, if I can't fully explore all of the things that I feel like I want to explore in journalism, it's too big of a sacrifice. The sacrifice isn't worth it anymore because I was having to spend so much time away from Ruby and from my husband, John, and I worked an awful shift and there was very little flexibility and then throw on top of that, that I was sort of constantly being pulled back instead of given more encouragement to do the things that I, I felt like I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So one night my husband said, you know, you should, let's just shelf news for just a second. I know that you are on this track and that you've invested so much time and so many years and all this education, but let's just shelf that for a second. If you could be doing anything else, what would you be doing? And without even skipping a beat, I just knew I was like, I'd be doing design. I'd be finding a way to do design and, and combine my love of journalism and storytelling and sort of throw it all together. And he said, you should start a design blog. And I was like, okay, there are a million design blogs. <laughs> like, I'm not going to start a design blog. And he said, just give it a try. And within the first six months, it had won blog of the year from Better Homes and Gardens. And Domino Magazine awarded it one of its top design blogs. And I knew I was onto something. And so I just, you know, we're all multifaceted, right? Like, everybody has different talents and aptitudes. And just because you're really, really good at one thing does not mean that's the only thing you're good at. And it also doesn't mean that that's the only thing that you can be or do. You know, I think the reason that I've been successful in, in different capacities is because I've truly followed my heart. And I've known that God has given me these talents and he wants me to use them in the best way that I can. And if I'm only doing one thing my entire life or my entire career that I'm not using all of the talents that I've been given. Yeah. And I think that's super brave to step out. And I think a lot of us don't utilize that inner bravery within us to take that venture out. And maybe it, your blog wasn't going destined to win all those awards and stuff. Maybe it was just going to be a personally fulfilling venture for you to kind of express yourself that way. It, that wasn't what God had planned and he had a much bigger stage for you in mind, which is awesome too, but it's not necessarily about the long vision of what's next. It's about taking the next right step in the season that we're in, right? It, exactly. Yeah. And I feel like oftentimes it feels like you're jumping off a big scary cliff yeah. trying something new, right? Yeah. Like we're in 
this comfort zone and we, we get really comfortable doing our thing and, and being good at something feels good. Right. Mm -hmm. But, and at the time it really did feel like I was jumping off a cliff. Like, what if I'm not good at this? And what if, what if it doesn't work out? And what if people told me I was crazy? Like you are the perfect age. You're in the perfect position. You've just won all these awards in journalism. Like you're on this track Mm -hmm. to do X. Like, how could you give that up? And when I quit, I had people tell me, bosses tell me, you'll be back. You'll be back. You love it too much. I know you'll be back. But I knew that I, I, it was taking too much. It was, it was just too much. Hmm. And I, I needed to rip the Band-Aid off. It was much more than a Band-Aid. <laughs> I literally mourned. I really did mourn. It was really, really hard to leave something that I loved. And I, would, I couldn't even watch the news. I would just cry. I felt like I had made a huge mistake. Um, like, why did I leave this? And I did feel like I was leaving some things on the table when I left news. You know, there was one main goal that I hadn't accomplished yet. And I'm definitely like one of those people that, that you know, checks things off the list. Like I have big goals and I like to accomplish them. And um, I hadn't been a sole anchor. I had been an anchor reporter, but I hadn't been a sole anchor of a show. And when I left news, I sort of felt like, oh, I'm leaving and I haven't done this yet. And is it the wrong decision? And, you know, and um, several years later, I had a station approach me and ask me if I was willing to come back just really part time and just anchor one show. And they were able they were willing to basically meet all of my demands and work around my schedule and my kids and my design business and made a lot of accommodations for me. And it, it really I did that for two years at Fox mm-hmm. 13. My contract ended last year and I decided not to renew because I sort of felt like I had that was the last box, right? Like I had checked the last box. But it really was like a testament to me that, you know what, there's a time, there's a time for everything and there's a season. And if you're trying, if you're feeling like you're a round peg in a square hole, then it's not the right time. Hmm. It's not the right time. It's time to shelf that for a little bit and give it some breathing room and do something else. And that's hard for me to accept. You know, I'm somebody that likes to. I'm a planner. I like to know what's coming next. I like to plan my next goal and jumping into the unknown. It literally felt like I was jumping into a ocean where I didn't have a floating device. I just, I didn't, I felt so out of control and not sure where I was going. And it was really hard for like a good year or two. Oh, I, I can totally empathize. And especially when it's a situation that you are choosing and bringing on yourself and you feel so much more responsible for the emotion. So when you are grieving and crying at the television news programming and you're just like, but I chose this. I did this to myself. I did this to myself. And so you don't feel quite as entitled probably to feel, you feel almost guilty for feeling so bad about the decision that you made. I totally understand that. We're getting a puppy soon. And I'm like, I'm, I'm doing this to myself. This is going to be a nightmare, but it's going to be good too. And it's, I feel great about the decision, but I know that I'm going to be regretting it too. So it's just such a weird thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's parenting too, yes, right? Yes. Like you, you leave the hospital and you're like, wait, what am I supposed to be doing? Like, where's this child's mother? Oh wait, I'm the mother. Right. Like, Why am I so I'm shocked? The one responsible. Yeah. 
I know. And then you're torturing yourself getting up in the middle of the night. But there's nothing more fulfilling, right? Of course, than being a mother or being the parent of a puppy or or finding like that thing eventually. Even if you have to wander through the dark for just a little while, you will find your way. You really will. You'll find your way. You'll find your footing. And you'll figure out what you're supposed to do. And I'm still figuring it out. Mm. I feel like I'm still evolving and changing. And I don't necessarily feel like I've landed exactly where I'm supposed to land. I feel like there are other things still that are new and different that I'm going to have to take big risks on and do things that are really scary. But thankfully, you know, my husband and I have talked about this before. We're kind of wired differently. I think our brains are wired a little bit differently where we don't even see that failure necessarily is the option. Like it's just go and figure it out and eventually we'll succeed. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think that's really, you know, that's a skill I think you have to work on, but, and it's scary. It's still really scary, mm. but I think just being brave enough, you don't have to do the whole thing yet, right? You don't have yeah. to have everything figured out. I think just taking the first step or two and having those first few steps figured out, you'll figure out the rest, you know, in, in TV, I remember, um, when I was first starting out, I had a really wise mentor say to me, don't memorize your scripts. Hmm. Don't memorize your scripts. You should only bullet point what you want to say and then figure out the first line. And then once you start talking, your brain will figure out the rest. It'll sound a lot more conversational. It will be more natural. If you memorize your scripts, you're going to mess up. Hmm. And really early in my career, I remember I watched this girl that worked at the same TV station as me in the Midwest. And she had tried to measure memorize her scripts. She forgot what she was saying. She looked down on her paper and just as the wind blew her papers away and she was, it was so painful. It was like completely a deer in headlights moment. She literally on live TV ran around and picked up all of her scripts off the ground, trying in the wind to pick them up. And I was like, okay, that's not going to be me. So I, I, I would practice this skill of memorizing the first line, figuring out what I was going to say, and then my mind and my body would just figure out the rest. And I sort of feel like that's, you know, how life works sometimes yes. when you're, if you just figure out the first little bit, you're, you know what you're doing. You need to trust your inner core and it'll, it'll guide you and you'll find your way eventually. What a fantastic metaphor for life. That is so true. And I think happiness in life really is about expectations and clinging clinging too tightly to a certain outcome nearly always leaves us disappointed. So when you're able to just pursue that next step and then the next one after that, and it's really a journey of gathering data and information. And like you said, like failure is not really one of the lanes. It's really a matter of this worked, this didn't, this is what we do next regardless of what type of information you get from experiencing a certain thing. And it's simply just gathering more information and making new educated decisions as you become more educated. When you know better, you do better, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think oftentimes people are are very nervous to, you know, they don't want to be embarrassed or they, mm. they're worried about what people are going to think. Um, and, and I definitely have felt those feelings as well. Like, oh my gosh, people are going to, what are people going to think? I just left this really successful career and now I'm 
doing what? I'm, what am I even doing? I don't even have it. I didn't have any clients. I didn't have a real business yet. Like people were, what were people going to think? You know, mm -hmm. I definitely had those feelings at first. And then I think, I think age has something to do with it and life experience, but eventually you just get in this place where you're like, I don't care. Yeah. Like, this is my <laughs> life, right? I'm going to live it the way that I want to live it. It's not for everybody. I know that I'm not for everybody and that's okay. Yeah. Like, this is your life and I don't want to, I guess my, my biggest fear is regret. I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back and go, Oh, I really wish I would have just done this. Or I, who knows what would have happened if I just would have tried this one thing. I want to teach my girls. I'm the mother of three little girls now that, you know what? It's okay to fail and it's okay to fumble around a little bit as long as you're going after it. Right. Like I don't want to have any regret if I try something and it doesn't work, which I have tried plenty of things that have not worked and I've done plenty of embarrassing things, but at least after I get done with it, I can go, well, that didn't work. Let's try the next thing. Hmm. I would rather that than go, oh, I was just too scared to try. Hey everyone, I know you are loving hearing from Jen this morning, but I wanted to thank one of our show sponsors and that is FabFitFun. I'm sure you've seen it around the blogosphere and influencers talking about them, but I want to tell you why I love, love, love FabFitFun. Okay, so FabFitFun, three things. Fab, what makes you feel good? For me lately, it's been skincare. As I'm getting older, I want to try new products that really make a difference in my skin and feeling my best. Fit. You guys, I'm having a hard time prioritizing fitness, but I love that I can be introduced to new, easy ways to incorporate movement into my life through this FabFitFun box. And lastly, fun. This is literally the last thing on my to-do list at any given time, and I want to do more things that just bring some light and life into my life and are just more fun. When I got my FabFitFun box in the mail, I was so excited. Not only is it packaged beautifully, but you know you're gonna get full-size products and try some of the very best brands out there. And so for me, some of my favorite products that I got were these Bobble Bar ear crawlers. I hadn't tried this fad yet, but you guys, I'm feeling so fashion forward with my Bobble Bar earrings that crawl up my ears and they're so beautiful. I got a cut from the cloth clutch. That's a lot of KKK sounds. And it is so cute. And I always use my same purse everywhere, but not anymore now that I have this clutch. And the last product I was really excited about trying was the Aveda Damage Ready Hair Repair. You guys, I am not somebody to branch out into new products and know what to buy for myself. And so FabFitFun is the best way to try out brands that aren't already on my radar. Getting that box seriously felt like such a luxury and you can take care of yourself in this small way by having these boxes delivered straight to your door and you don't even have to search for these new favorite things. These seasonal boxes come with eight to 10 full size beauty, fitness, home and wellness products from some of your fa favorite brands at an incredible price of $49.99 a box. So once a season, you can visit their website, you start customizing your own box, and in just a few minutes, you've curated this box that you can really and truly look forward to arriving very soon. So like I said, the box retails for $49.99, but the value's always over $200. And when you use code EMP for $10 off your first box, when you go to fabfitfun.com, that's code EMP for $10 off your first box at www.fabfitfun.com. That makes it $39.99 for your first box to give it a try. I have loved FabFitFun and can't wait 
to give it as a gift to somebody I love this Christmas. As the holidays are coming up and you're wondering what to give somebody that's novel and maybe somebody's hard to shop for, give them a FabFitFun box. That would be the best thing to arrive on their doorstep. Thanks FabFitFun, now let's get back to it. And isn't that what we want to model for our kids? Right? If, you, if you're playing small, and it doesn't mean how big your stage is, but it, it means not doing the things that you feel called to do out of fear or feeling like you're not enough or you're not equipped yet and waiting, waiting, waiting. That thing is never going to come when you're just waiting around because you're never progressing as a person. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think where one of the things that I probably haven't done enough right that I'm trying to be better about as I age and get older is I haven't let things happen the way that they're supposed to happen enough. Hmm. My problem is that I'm constantly looking at a goal and trying to force it to happen. And, and if it doesn't happen, I get really frustrated. I'm like, Oh, but I'm doing all the things that I'm doing, you know, what I'm supposed to be doing. And I've, I've been trying really hard the past couple of years to just go, you know what, if I'm doing my very best and I know that I'm doing my best work, things will fall in place. The mm-hmm. do, you know, the cards will fall where they're supposed to fall and I will be on the path that I'm supposed to be on. But when I try and force things is where I think I personally get myself into trouble because I get frustrated or, you know, I'll try and force something that just isn't my path. Um, and I, I think that's happened enough times now where, you know, I always kind of say this prayer that's like, look, I'm doing the best that I can here and I'm trying to figure out the best place that I can go. And if it's not the right thing, like put down a lightning bolt, steer me in a different direction, lead me in a different way. And that's happened enough times. And sometimes it's super painful, but it's happened enough times now where I'm like, okay, I need to just... Hmm. I, I truly believe no matter what your, you know, if you believe in a higher power or not, or your religion or your faith or something like that, I personally believe that all of us are given certain aptitudes, certain gifts, certain talents, and that there is a path for all of us and that it, it's unique to us. And if I feel like if I'm willing to just quiet my mind and listen to where I'm supposed to go, that I'll figure it out. Right. I'll mm-hmm. figure out where I'm supposed to go as, as I kind of go along. And you're doing it. You are doing it. <laughs> you really are. Well, I don't know about that, yeah. but I'm trying. I mean, yeah. I'm doing my best. Yeah. No, you are. You are. And I think that's all that we're really called to do is just take each new thing and, and have that courage and that faithfulness to take that next step. And that is why when I talk to women who face challenges, in their, is that's why when I – Talk to women who face challenges in their life that they didn't ask for. And I know that you've had some of those things as well. As much as you have willed your way into certain aspects of your life, career, and family, and things like that, there's other things in your story that have not been how you thought things would go. And you really have had to release um, your expectations in the same way that many of the people listening have also experienced. You've had complications with all of your pregnancies and Tell me about about those seasons of your life where things have not gone the way that you thought they would and you've had no control to really change the facts and change the circumstances, but you got to choose basically just your attitude surrounding those things. Tell me about those seasons. Yeah, I mean, motherhood is definitely one of those things for me 
Um, but backing up even more than that, um, you know, my childhood was really unconventional. Mm. <laughs> my childhood was really interesting. I grew up, um, my dad immigrated from Mexico. He, um, grew up really, really poor and had a college scholarship to the U S and, and came here. And then my mother suffered my entire childhood with, with debilitating health problems. And mm. she's been chronically ill my whole life. And she was in a wheelchair by the time I was before I was out of elementary school, I think I was eight or nine. And that's something that was very out of my control that, you know, I was really insecure about as a child and, and my childhood didn't look like everybody else's. And my mom wasn't always at all of the functions. And sometimes my hair was a little bit messy because I was doing it myself and things like that, that, that as a child, I think I was really insecure about, but I learned really early on that, that, it was also kind of empowering because I could, I could figure things out on my own and, and be whoever I wanted to be. Um, as I got a little bit older, um, well, a lot older and I became a mother, my, you know, pregnancy didn't happen the way that I, I wanted it to. I had multiple miscarriages and it took me three years to get pregnant successfully with, with our oldest daughter, Ruby. And I have a clotting factor of my blood that they discovered. That's why I kept miscarrying. And so I had to do um, injections in my stomach twice a day for 10 months, actually, because you have to do it after you have the baby as well. And then on top of that, I have hyperemesis gravidarium, which I'm sure some of your listeners will know what that is, but it's characterized as violent nausea. And so <sighs> with my first pregnancy, I would throw up probably every 15 to 20 minutes. Um, you know, throughout the day, every day. And I would just, I got, you know, I was working in news still while I was pregnant with her. And so I would just like carry around a little barf bag. It's so disgusting. Oh my gosh. But I just kind of like push through it, you know? And then with, with Anna, my second daughter, um, I had really violent nausea. So I would get into these spells where I would throw up violently every 10 to 15 minutes for five or six days. And my body physically could not stop throwing up until I had um, some kind of kind of intravenous medication to stop me from throwing up. So I would end up in the hospital. Um, and then with Vivi, my third daughter, I had the same thing and I ended up on home health. And then uh, I, on top of that, I had severe back pain while I was pregnant and I couldn't figure out why my doctor kept saying it's just because you it's your third and it's just your sciatic nerve and it's because she's a bigger baby she was two pounds bigger than my other two daughters at 37 weeks delivered she was just bigger Mm. and my doctor kept saying you know what it'll get better after you deliver it's just your sciatic nerve pain and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse even after I had her and so I went in and had an MRI and they were like, oh, you have a, a really large disc herniation in your back that oh probably happened gosh. while you were pregnant. And I was like, okay, that's okay. <laughs> and they were like, well, you need, you need back surgery. And I was like, ha, 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 I can't have back surgery. I have a newborn. I've got a business to run. I just launched a textile collection, like. I have two other small children. I can't, I had three daughters in four years. I'm like, I can't have a back surgery. So I just didn't, I Mm. I kind of blew it off. And then lo and behold, like a month later, I was helping my husband move a TV and felt a pop 
oh, in my back no. and my whole right leg went dead. I had what's called dead leg, which you guys probably don't know what that is, but it basically your nerve, it's nerve damage. So oh I gosh. couldn't lift my leg. I would flip, I would flex my feet and my right leg would just go limp. <gasps> it felt like it was the most excruciating pain I've ever been in. It literally felt like somebody was stabbing my back and my hip and my leg all the way down my leg. It was the most excruciating pain. And I had a business trip the next week planned, a really important business trip to New York City. I was doing some work with Better Homes and Gardens. And it was my 15 wedding, 15 year wedding anniversary. And my husband was going to come with me. And I went in to the doctor and I was like, so even after all that, you guys, I was like, can you just give me like an injection for like the pain and I'll just suffer through this trip and then I'll come back and, you know, we'll figure it out when I get back. And he was like, he looked at me like I was crazy. And he said, if you don't have surgery right now, you will, it'll never come back. You will have permanent nerve damage. And even if we had surgery right now, there's no guarantee that all of this feeling will come back in your leg. Like, no, you're not going on your business trip. You are having emergency surgery. And then they told me like what the surgery entailed. So I had a five month old daughter (laughs) and two toddlers, a four year old, a two year old and a not even two. She wasn't even two yet. And a five month old. Get out. And (laughs) and this surgery had it I went into the doctor on a Thursday and I had surgery on Monday. So I had just a couple days to kind of get my life together. So the recovery for the surgery is six weeks of no bending, lifting, twisting, driving, nothing. Wow. So it was complete loss of control. I had to just rely on other people to help me. I started hiring nannies. My neighborhood came to my rescue and took different shifts, babysitting my girls because I couldn't even be alone with my children because I couldn't lift them up. I could barely walk. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. And it it literally was just complete letting go of all control and going, okay, this is what life looks like. I just have to get through one more day. And it was so hard because I would lay in bed. I watched every documentary on Netflix. <laughs> I mean, I would lay in bed and I would hear my children crying, like in another room or something. And I would... I would like try and like boss everyone from like my bed. I'd be like, John, what, what's going on in there? Have you got everything under control? Is everything okay? Like try this. And he'd be like, you are driving us crazy. Like just lay there and don't try and manage everything. Like take this time to let your body heal. It was so, 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 so hard, but we made it. <laughs> we made it out of surgery recovery and I'm doing so much better. But so anyway, glad. it was just one of those times in your life where literally I had no control over anything. I mean, I couldn't even wash my own hair. It was so ridiculous. 
All right, I wanted to thank our final show sponsor that makes this show possible for all of you to listen every week, and that is Grove Collaborative. Grove Collaborative is an online marketplace that delivers natural cleaning, beauty, and personal care products directly to your door. So if you've been through a season of life, or maybe you're in one, just like Jen, where she needed to figure out ways to simplify, Grove Collaborative is the way to do that because they make finding healthy, affordable, effective products easy and convenient, and it's no harder than picking up the Grove stuff that you used to that was literally like spreading chemicals and poison across your countertops. Grove has a selection of brands that you've heard of like Mrs. Myers and 7th Generation, Burt's Bees, and so many more. And even their own line of Grove made products, I am loving so much. I love their dryer balls, their wool dryer balls, which I've switched out for my dryer sheets. Those are working great. They have a lavender candle that is so, so beautifully smelling and I know that they have only put the very best products in their marketplace for my home and my family. So 70% of people say they wanna use natural products and only 2% do. So if you wanna be among the 2% and let's even increase that percentage, you need to check out Grove Collaborative. It is so easy to shop on their website and shipping is fast and free on your first order. So for a limited time, when my listeners go to grove.co slash EEP, you'll get a free five-piece gift set from Mrs. Myers in festive holiday scents like peppermint or Iowa pine. Mm, that sounds so good. Go to grove.co slash EEP to get this exclusive holiday offer grove.co slash eep for that holiday offer thanks so much to grove for sponsoring the show and let's get back to the rest of my conversation and i'm sure there's people listening that have been through those seasons where it's like oh and now this oh oh this too oh okay bring it on one more thing like what else could go wrong right we've all been there and those are the things that we look back upon and we're like a look what we got through Like, do you have a sense of pride and strength surrounding that experience now? Or maybe you're still too close, still too close to it. But how do you feel about that experience looking back on it now of what you endured and what you got through? And how did it kind of shift your perspective overall about willing yourself through things and kind of also releasing, well, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely look back on that time and I have a couple feelings. The first thing that I feel is just gratitude Mm. because so many people saved me and my family. I mean, people just that came out of the woodwork and brought us meals and did my children's hair for dance performances and made sure that they felt loved and cared for and really did all of the things that I physically could not do. And it was hard. I don't know if you've ever been on the receiving end of a lot of service before, but it is so uncomfortable. Mm. Like I'm someone who really loves to serve other people. And, you know, when someone has a baby or someone's having, you know, there's a death in the family or something, I'm like all about it. I'm like, let me help you. Let me get you this. But when you are on the receiving end of so much generosity, it's really, really uncomfortable. And someone said to me, like, Jen, this is part of service. Like, without opportunities to serve, service is a two-way street. You're giving people an opportunity to serve. You've served other people. Let people do it for you in return. And that was, like, a big lesson for me. I was like, okay, okay, you're right. So 
that's the number one thing that I think of when I think of that period of my life is mm-hmm. just gratitude for how many people just really stepped up and helped us in a time when I desperately needed it and I had to accept it. And the other thing I think of is, again, I think this is kind of like a theme in my life. I think I keep getting put in situations that are more and more and more severe where I have to kind of <laughs> let go of control because I am a control freak, right? Mm-hmm. Like I hate flying. I don't know if you're a fan of flying. But I'm not. I, no, 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 no. <laughs> I hate it so much. I literally hate it so much. And I get anxiety. I, you know, I did never have a fear of flying until I became a journalist and I started covering plane crashes. Oh, and that'll do I, it. <laughs> oh, I know. That'll do it to you, right? When you see wreckage of a plane. I mean, I never covered a commercial plane crash, thank goodness. But I did cover a lot of small plane crashes where people died. And mm-hmm. I would have to go and look at the wreckage of the plane and do a story on it. And so I have this fear of flying. And really what it comes down to is control. People will be like, why don't you take, you know, why don't you take a drug or something, which I don't, I hate taking medication anyway. For this reason, I feel out of control. Mm. I'm like, if the plane goes down, I want to be able to try and escape so I can't be under the influence of something. And my husband's like, you're insane. That is a really funny perspective. I have never heard that reasoning for not wanting to be medicated on a plane. That's a new (laughs) one, Jen. That's interesting. (laughs) No, but it's true, though. Like, I want to be the one fighting to survive, right? I know it sounds totally crazy. But it's the same in, like, my entire life. Like, I have to, you know, I keep getting put in these situations because I have to just, there are times when I'm just not in control, and I have to be okay with that. And I'm trying really hard to just chillax more Mm. and let God take the reins in my life a little bit more. Well, I definitely want you in the exit row of my plane all the time. That, that I, I'm fine with that, Jen. You you do you, and I will feel a little better with you on my plane, even if you're a stress case. That's fine. Oh, I man. I can't tell you how many people I have, strangers, I have held their hands and cried on planes because I'm so scared. I fly a lot, too, and it literally happens probably every other time I fly. We hit turbulence, and I get to know the person I'm sitting next to real well because right. – they're talking me off the ledge as I'm crying. <laughs> we're going down, but we're going down together. <laughs> oh my gosh. No. I understand. I understand completely that fear. And it, it, it's gotten worse as I've become a mother because I'm just like, is this it? Is this how, like, I didn't even say goodbye. Like, oh my gosh. It feels very big and stressful. I'm a, I know. Something yeah. journalism did to me was made me miss worst. John calls me wor- miss worst case scenario. Okay. Because. I have met all of the people that things have happened to. Like, it's one thing to hear about a freak accident through, like, third person or read it in a news story. But I have actually interviewed people that crazy things have happened to. And so mm-hmm. I am convinced, like, those things could happen to me. <laughs> yeah. Why Why not me, right? <laughs> I know. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. I have three kids as well. I have three boys. And so maybe we should just match them all up right now. This would be a really fun uh, in-law situation, Jen. But yeah, when I think about who I am and how my characteristics and personality influence my kids, some t- things I'm like, oh, great, they're musical like I am. Like that's what I always dreamed of. And then there's some things where I'm like, oh, I do that. Oh, that's where they got that, right? And so you kind of have to accept that your kids are seeing the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it's great as a parent, 
especially in this generation where I feel like we're being so much more intentional and self-aware there's this movement where it's not just like we're parenting by default anymore there's so much knowledge and information and uh, push to go to therapy and all of these things that can really help us to benefit from seeing ourselves more as from the place of an observer of like, what are our kids seeing from us and what are they learning from us? And not that they're going to be immune from picking up our little things and not that we have to be perfect by any means, but it is really important to be mindful of what do we want to teach our kids? Like what are those core things we want them seeing from us and knowing to be true and who do we want them to be as they grow up? And so I'm curious for you, Jen, what do you want your girls to know more than anything? That's a good question. Um, I want them to know that they are loved, that they are valuable, valued, that they have a path for them, and that the only opinions that matter are the ones that they make about themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I also really, really, if my if I can teach my children one thing, I want them to learn empathy from me. And mm-hmm. um, I think... Being able to understand that everyone is going through things and that everyone has hard things and everyone feels alone at times and everyone feels like they're struggling and everyone just needs a friend. I think if I can teach that to my girls, then I'm doing something right. Mm -hmm. I try really hard when we go out in public to point out people that seem like maybe they're struggling or even just point out the good in somebody else that I see um, because I just want them to understand that we're all connected, right? Like yeah. everyone is connected. We're not on an island and everyone's actions affect everyone else's actions. And I think in today's world where social media and, you know, it's just so much more accessible to know what everybody else is doing than has ever happened before in history that I just want my girls to realize that pretty images or the face that people put forward or, you know, that's not always the whole story. Everybody has things that they're going through. I love that so much. And I think that is so much what stag design is about. It's not just about creating a beautiful house that looks great in the pictures. It's about creating a home environment and a culture in your family that says, come in. You're welcome here. And when you're doing projects and I see on your Instagram things like, you know, uh, doing the rooms for the refugee family and those types of projects, you're able to use your gifts and talents, Jen, in a way that really serves others and elevates their lives and when you're when you share that with with the rest of us it really helps us to be inspired in a way like I'm not going to decorate a room for anybody I'm just not going to do that but I appreciate to see that you're using your individual talents that you've been given to offer that to the world and I think we can each do that in our own way what is it that we've been gifted with and what are our talents that we can use and whether it's showing up with a meal for somebody or offering to watch somebody's kids or using your business in a philanthropic type way like it's just it's so exciting to think you can literally create any job any opportunity any service product that you want because I mean there's just so many resources in the age that we live in it's it's really really awesome and you're doing a really great job Jen (laughs) Oh my gosh, that is so nice of you. And you've just given me so many compliments. And I mean it. Thank you. Yeah, I <laughs> mean you. it. I mean it. Well, where can people find you online to follow along with your business? And just you do a great job of blending your family with your business online. It's just, it's been a 
fun thing to watch. So where can people find you? Oh, well, our website is stag-design.com. And I always say that stag with two G's, like mm-hmm. stag like the chili, not the deer. Mm-hmm. Um, my Instagram handle is just Jennifer Stag, and our company Instagram is Stag Design. Perfect. Jen, the, po- the podcast is all about bringing on women that are not perfect, but that are extraordinary. They're doing extraordinary things in the lives of their family and through their work. And the more that we can just own the gifts we've been given and use them in a way that contributes in a greater way to the world and to our children and everything, like we can just do so much more. And so I want women especially to be able to just own their value. Like you said, that's what you want your kids to know, that they are valued and valuable. So Jen, for you, I want to know one thing that you think makes you extraordinary. Can I say two? (laughs) I would love for you to say two. I think my grit Mm. and compassion. Mm. I think those are the two things that, that make me different as a designer, as a storyteller, as a journalist, those two things. I think I'm really driven, um, but I also feel like I can feel other people's pain Mm. and joy and find a way to incorporate that into their stories or into their homes. I feel like those are kind of my two superpowers. I love that. And you might think that those are two kind of opposite type of attributes. I listened to an interview with Dog the Bounty Hunter. I don't know if you're familiar with him. But <laughs> oh, yeah. Like here, Bullet. Here, I, I know who he yes, is. Yes. He's, yeah. he's so fascinating to me. And I'll link this podcast in the show notes because it is just an interesting look at somebody that comes across so bold and brazen and gritty and fearless. And underneath, he cannot stop crying about the loss of his wife. He is so tender and empathetic. And as the leader of one of um, the motorcycle, I can't remember the motorcycle gang name now, but he was like the leader of that. And he led with a very iron fist. And yet there was like so much love and compassion for everyone in that gang. And it's just a really interesting dichotomy where – You know, just because you're born type A and a go-getter and everything, it doesn't mean you need to leave other people in the dust. And I think you pair those attributes really, really well. So love that answer. Jen, thanks for coming on today. This has been so fun chatting with you. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I am excited to have you on my podcast in the future. So thank you so much for thinking of me. Oh, well, it's my pleasure. We didn't even talk about your podcast. Tell everyone what it's called. (laughs) Oh! Shoot. It's called Heart of the Home. Heart of the Home home. podcast. And you can find it in all the podcast places. Yeah, exactly where you're listening right now. Just go find Heart of the Home as well. Great, great ideas. Jen, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. I know that you loved hearing from Jen just as much as I did. Wasn't that so encouraging? Her road to motherhood and her business challenges and finding her way and finding what she wants to do in life and pursuing her passion. I mean, this is not a linear line where everything just fell into place one thing after another just so perfectly as sometimes things might appear online. I love hearing about her perseverance. I loved hearing about the perspective that she has gained through going through these challenges. And I think Just as she has learned so much in these experiences, we all have these experiences in our life that really shape and transform us. And if we let them refine us into becoming the best mothers, women, humans that we can be. And I loved how she looks back on those challenging times with gratitude, both for the experience 
and for the people that came to support her family and it taught her so much. So thank you so much to Jen Stagg for coming on the show today. Links to where you can find Jen online will be over at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com. Be sure to head over there and you'll be linked up there. Don't miss out on the promo codes from FabFitFun and Grove Collaborative. Those will also be linked over on the website as well. All right, if you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can find me over there at JessicaDalquist3 and on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I got a new puppy, guys. So I'm sharing a lot of puppy stuff and... So if you're into that kind of thing, Cosmo is darling and you can follow me over there for all my puppy training woes and highs, right? Have a great day, everybody. We will see you next week for another episode with another extraordinary mom. Bye.